Tonight we are in Luke 12. As we continue our way through the gospel, Luke 12. You can go ahead and turn there. We're going to take a look tonight, as the Lord allows, at the first uh, 12 verses. So I'm going to read uh, just the first 12 verses, give us some sort of uh, context, and then we'll go back and we'll take some time to talk about them. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together they were, that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do with you. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Well, the context, uh, remember, no chapter breaks in the original here, and remember the story, if you, if you weren't with us, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is having a confrontation, really, with uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, people that uh, he was saying things about, essentially saying to them, you guys are hypocrites, whitewashed tombs and stuff like that, and one of them actually says, Lord, you offend us, in, or he didn't say Lord, he says, you offend us in saying these things. Uh, and we talked about how sometimes we need to be offended. We need to be challenged in our thinking. Uh, look at verse 53 of chapter 11. It says, As he went from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about, about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. You know, there was a, a, a very real confrontation that was developing between Jesus and these religious leaders. In chapter 11, uh, four or five different times, Jesus will say, this thing you're doing, that's hypocritical. This thing you think, that's hypocritical. This thing you, place you go, that's a, like he calls them out very specifically. And so that's the context coming into chapter 12, because now he's not talking to the Pharisees, but now he's talking to the throngs of people that have come, thousands of people, it says, trampling one another. So it's like a, a rock concert or yeah. something. Uh, and then he speaks to his disciples, you can see, uh, it says there at the end of verse 1, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, his point is going to be that a little bit of something has the ability to affect the, the mass, the entire thing. And he uses the example of leaven. So, I have no idea how to bake or anything like that. I'm not even pretending like I do. Uh, but I do know that a strategy of theirs was uh, to kind of skip some steps by just taking some leaven from a previous piece of dough, bringing that into the new one, and then that would have the ability to permeate all of it. And so that's his point that he is making. A little leaven has the ability, a little bit of this has the ability to affect the entire mass. Uh, now, the specific thing that Jesus is warning these uh, his disciples about is hypocrisy. This isn't the only thing that we need to be warned against, and it's not the only thing that the Pharisees necessarily did wrong, but in this case in particular, he's speaking against hypocrisy. And he's speaking it to disciples, which means you and I, if we're disciples of Christ, we need to be on guard against hypocrisy as well. It's not just something that certain classes of people or certain religious leaders or whatever it may be or just those Pharisees, but all of us are at risk for hypocrisy entering in to our lives and in infecting us. So we need to beware against the leaven of the Pharisees. 
Now you probably heard uh, hypocrisy or hypocrite. It comes from this Greek word, uh, which at the time described sort of the masks that actors would put on. Uh, that you know, inside I may be the same person, but I throw that mask on, I'm a completely different person, uh, and becoming something that you're not. Doing things or saying things in one place, and then kind of doing and saying the complete opposite somewhere else. Jesus will go on in verse 2 and he'll say, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. Hypocrisy demands concealment. You have to be hiding something to be a hypocrite. There's one thing you do in one place, there's another thing you do somewhere else. Um, the problem is, we can't hide anything from God. So the Lord knows. Numbers chapter 32, it says, Behold, you've sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Find you out, I should say. I made this statement the other day, and I, I'd sort of like to hear your thoughts on it, if I'm crazy. Um, the statement I made was, God is okay with his kingdom getting a black eye every now and then. And what I meant by that was this. You know, sometimes if something significant or whatever might be happening, you know, some, somebody in my family did something wrong, uh, sometimes we want to cover it up, we want to hide it, you know, we don't, we don't want everyone else to know what's going on in our family, you know, this sort of thing. Um, or if we were some big business or some presidential administration or something, and there was some sort of a scandal, we would want to cover that up, hide that up, minimize the damage. But the point I'm making here is that God is okay with his kingdom getting a black eye every now and again is that God works in the completely opposite way and that God will allow a scandal quote unquote to come out that will bring disrepute to the church so what do you think is that crazy well there's tons of instances in the Bible where you know people do wrong David and then confused, you know, for certainly our edification. Okay. So God's okay with it coming out because it has the effect of <clears throat> building up other people. I don't know if God's okay with it, but I know it. <laughs> well, it just, it just, I think it just backs up the point that we're all sinners. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, even David, the man after God's own heart, right. still. I mean, that doesn't make an excuse for us, but it clearly says. Even he was a wretched sinner in need of a savior. Mm -hmm. So God has no problem with no problem with that in the sense of it makes his case. Right. Yes. Okay. I hear you. I think yeah. he, can yeah. repentance. he can use that because uh, people who have fallen and have been very open about it, mm -hmm. other people can really relate to that. Mm -hmm. And okay. uh, in some cases, that's what would bring them to Christ mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. If he'll accept you, I guess he'll accept me too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's very well said for my thoughts. I was thinking, I mean, my thoughts went to repentance, and I'm thinking, sure. So God, I mean, if you repent, God loves that, right? Like he loves a contrite heart, and then it can be used for glorification for him as well. So, yeah. And even when we see, you know, those of us we look, not as an idol, but, you know, like, hey, that guy's walk is good, and, and then something happens, you know, it's you know, grace, and yeah. and just how equally human we all are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm on a pastor's uh, server list and email list of, like, 30 of us from this area, and, uh, you know, there was a Calvary pastor that recently fell into sin and things like that and resigned his position and, and so on, and um, initially we were just, hey, just so you're aware, because people will probably ask you about it. Um, but then it was, it was really interesting to see the effect that it had on the group of us as pastors, at least those that responded, you know, and, and typed in an email response. And it was basically a, nobody said, yeah, I knew he would do that. Mm -hmm. you know, it was right. nothing like that. What everyone said was, oh, dear Lord, help me. Right. preserve me right. you know help me keep short accounts with compassion. you you know compassion certainly and then also really just humbled and broken to depend even more on the Lord mm -hmm. than perhaps we were the day before mm -hmm. you know and, and so um, 
So anyway, my point is, that I, I wanted to make was just that I think God is okay with it because <clears throat> these secret things that we think that nobody knows, God's not just going to wink at that, look past it, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to cause a stink, so don't worry about it this time. Try not to do it anymore kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Those things are going to come out. They're going to be exposed. That which is done in secret, uh, nothing's covered up. That will It will be revealed and, and so on. Uh, now, I think one of the most common accusations against Christians and Christianity is that we are a bunch of hypocrites. hypocrites. You know, you, you hear that. It's a, I think it's a safe way for people that aren't interested in the things of God to be able to stay out of you know the conversation when you guys are just all a bunch of hypocrites anyway. Uh, and you know, our response to that is, yeah, there's more room for you. Come on, you know what I mean, sort of thing, and and so on. But there's a difference between falling and willingly just do it. Like I say this, but I do that. You know, so yeah, we all know that we desire to be with Christ and walk in fellowship with Him and stay away from sin and things like that. And we all know that we fall short of that. And, and so I guess in that sense, we're a hypocrite. But there's certainly a big difference between the person that says something and does the complete opposite and the one who just falls into sin and makes mistakes and things like that. So some have said, in response, I think, to that common, you know, you're, a bunch, you're just a bunch of hypocrites, is that, well, then maybe as Christians, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So maybe we should just lower our standards, and then I won't be violating any standards here. But that, that's not what is being kind of uh, pointed to here. The Pharisees had a high standard, if you will, of morality, and that was fine. There was nothing necessarily wrong with that. The problem with them was is that they, they had this high standard, but they were faking their spirituality. As soon as they got somewhere where no one was paying attention, then they could really live like their hearts wanted them to live. And that's, that's obviously a problem. So we can establish, and I think we should, establish high standards for ourselves. And I think we should sincerely seek to meet those standards. But when we don't, we should be honest about it. We should confess it before the Lord. We should confess it before other people, if necessary, that the Lord might continue to work in. What we don't want to do is get to the place where we're putting on a mask, we're living out a life on the outside, is, which is different than what we are on the inside. Uh, that's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy will destroy the foundation of the work of Christ in our lives and eventually build, bring the building crumbling down. Now, I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation. I don't believe that. But I do think it'll, it'll uh, bring the the edifice, if you will, come crumbling down uh, because of hypocrisy. And so guard against hypocrisy. And so Jesus here says that uh, to these folks. And so I'd encourage you, let the Lord search out your heart. Where are areas of your life in which you're living one way and saying another thing? And where are those areas of life where you are, if you will, putting on the mask? So you don't have to tell me your sin right now. But let me, let me pose these questions out there. and We'll call it religious people. So it's not you we're talking about here. But why do you think religious people, quote unquote, struggle with hypocrisy? Pride. That was a quick answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pride. Not that I know that. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, because it's, you know, the supposedly high standard that, you know, the bar is that high. And we don't want other people to think that we're not, you know, so we put on the fake thing, you know. Hey, how you doing today? Oh, I'm great. But I was just arguing with my wife. You know, like that. Yeah. yeah. Why is pride ironic for the Christian? Because that was Satan's downfall. Yeah. I mean, everything about the Christian message is completely opposite. Of pride, yeah. isn't it? I don't know if I would say pride. I think it goes more towards fear. Yeah, that too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it can certainly be both. Yeah. But why fear? Because you're afraid that if you tell somebody, hey, I just, I, ugh, whatever, fill in the blank, they're going to say, oh, I don't want to talk to you, or, you know, we, you know, we, we don't want you in our, in our church because, you know, that's not good. But I guess when I finally went to a real church, I realized that really wasn't the way it is. <laughs> I imagine there are churches out there that it is that way. I've never went but I mean, it, it kind of fits in with what you said about that email that went around. Is because when you, you know, if you, you know, I've been in discipleship situations, and 
you know, said something like, ah, oh, whatever. And the, and the, you know, the person who's supposed to be like the spiritual leader says, hmm, yeah, I struggle with that too. And you're like, what? You do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a young Christian, it's kind of a shock to come across that. That people are actually welcoming to people, you know, to you or others that are. So there's, I think there's a, there's a perceived fear or a assumed fear of being rejected or being looked at differently. Yeah, because you think everybody else is walking this great walk and you're the only one who's not. One of the values of smaller group settings, um, because you learn pretty quickly the reality of things, you know, that maybe you don't see when everyone puts on their fancy clothes. Mm-hmm. Not that Okay, so we said uh, we said pride, mm-hmm. we said fear. Mm-hmm. Are there any other things that are at the root of hypocrisy that we want to be avoiding? Duplicity. You know, I know what that word means. Uh, what do, What do you mean by that? Well, the double standard. You know, it's like I got to put my face on show everyone else, even though I'm not really living it. Hmm. Okay. All right. What do you think could be done, then, to prevent hypocrisy from taking root in your life? Certainly prayer. Mm. And, you know, having someone that you can trust and Mm. pull to. Okay. Good prayer and sort of that partner you can be really honest with and let them be honest with accountability. you. Accountability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Accountability. Yeah, that's what it is for me. Pretend Jesus is sitting next to you all the time. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That helps. <laughs> I, like, I, I always think <laughs> if someone were to come in my home at any point in time randomly, would they see something going on in my home in secret <coughs> that I would be ashamed mm for anybody else to know about. Yeah. Right, because, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss right now, isn't it? That's like part of what David was, is like, what What am I do? am I doing anything in secret that cannot be seen by everybody mm-hmm. else? Yeah. What am I doing when only God can see? Absolutely. You know, I was at a uh, conference or something, or seminar kind of thing, and uh, the fella had his laptop hooked up to the screen and the speakers and everything. And don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Look, where is this going? (laughs) And, you know, something happened and the wrong thing popped up. And it was like, I don't know, like, somebody loves Raymond. No, it was was totally fine. Okay, okay. It was was totally innocent, nothing. And, but he made this... where our minds went? I know. You guys are terrible. (laughs) But he made the statement, he said, you know, I'm really glad that I have no secrets on there. Right. You know, um, Mm. and I was like, amen, you know, me too, because it's such a freedom, you know, in that, you know, because you can just imagine. It's a lot of work hiding It is, (laughs) absolutely. A lot of wasted energy. Yeah, good point. Well, so that's some of the the things that we talked about. Anybody else want to answer that question? What we can do to prevent hypocrisy from forming? We said accountability, we said prayer, mm-hmm. sitting with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I have come a couple different takes on, on the accountability and the sitting with Jesus thing. I had a counselor friend of mine tell me one time, um, you know, when you're thinking about doing something not right, and he talks about having Jesus sitting next to you, um, he kind of pre- presented it in a way that I, I really hit me emotionally at the time, in the sense that he said, Imagine Jesus sitting there and saying, yeah, you can have that, or you can sup with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and the intimacy of that, to me, was very real at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously still is, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the, other, the other thing is, uh, you know, um, there was a few years back I was struggling with a lot of stuff, and, um, and the thing that hit me the most was I didn't have any really close brothers uh, in my life. And Proverbs 18.1 stuck out to me. Um, I, I think it was the NIV version. One of them is really awful, but I can't remember. New King James, I think it was. And it says, uh, a man who isolates himself rages against all wise counsel. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, I need fellowship. I need Absolutely. people to hang out with. Absolutely. So. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, said, sin demands isolation. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you just have to get away and be alone and be by 
yourself. And so we guard ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's wise to gather the strength up. Mm-hmm. Well, I do find it interesting that verse 4, Jesus now goes right in and starts talking about fear. <clears throat> because I do think one of the key motivating factors behind uh, hypocrisy um, is fear. So who said fear? You win a prize. Very good. <laughs> verse 4 says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I'll warn you whom you to fear. Uh, you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed. Is that for you like Wi-Fi? Yeah. You can open the door. It'll probably it's work better. It's not connecting. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's hearing it. There anymore. it is. Now I got it. See that? Uh, <laughs> I tell you, fear him. Uh, or not five sir, sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Mm-hmm. Well, that last verse doesn't impress me too much. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Um, <laughs> I'm not that impressed with that. Uh, anyhow, verse 4. Uh, let's go back and look at it. Do not fear those who kill the body. Um, this message that Jesus was teaching was being accepted by thousands of thousands of people. You can see that, at the very least, uh, People were intrigued by it, maybe not accepting it, um, but are gathering, they're trampling upon one another. But the message itself was offensive to the religious leaders. And so for these folks, that, and particularly for the disciples that were coming, listening to Jesus, becoming one of his disciples, and so on, it was going to put them in direct opposition to the religious leaders of the day, and even, in some cases, the political leaders of the day. Well, you can imagine, that sort of an opposition, oh my, like the, the leaders don't like me, and, and who I'm connected with, that can cause a person to be fearful. And that fear can tempt a person to do all sorts of things that maybe their heart and mind is telling them not to do. So it might tempt them to alter their behavior. It might tempt them to alter their views, certainly the words that they're going to speak or the beliefs that they're going to hold. And so Jesus then looks at this and he says, look, I understand that fear is behind this, that fear can have the effect of causing you to be a hypocrite. And so he reminds them, I think what he does is, he gives them perspective. If you're going to fear something, well then fear the one that is eternal. Mm. Right? So again, looking at the verse there, he says, I tell you, fear those who kill, don't fear those who kill the body and then can't do anything after that, but fear the one uh, who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Mm. Fear that one. So Jesus causes them to put things in perspective. Mm. You know, a lot of kids, high school age kids, that sort of thing, they just struggle sort of with peer pressure. As we get a little bit older, I'm like, I don't really care what people think about me. Anyway, you know what I mean? And I think older people still struggle with, you know, uh, what other people think, and they affect their behavior around that, certainly. Um, but I think more people would say it's a little more prevalent among young people because there's sort of a fear. Now, I think, and you probably said it to your kids or grandkids or something like that in so many words, put things in perspective. You're not going to know most of these kids in your high school or even care about them when you're 25 and 35 and 45. Um, I don't no, I don't know anybody really from high school. <laughs> I met my wife there. I know her. You know what I mean? And my cousins went there. Other than that, I really have no relation with anybody else from high school. And so you think of it and you're like, man, did I alter my behavior in all these different things in so many other ways for people that I don't even know about anymore? So time allows us to have some perspective. And Jesus essentially is doing that. He's saying, look past the temporary, where the worst thing that a person could do is take your life away. Mm -hmm. I think most of them are like, well, that's pretty serious. (laughs) But look on to eternity, Mm -hmm. in which this one not only can deal with your life having been taken away, but judgment for eternity. So our fear of God, it should be such that we are moved to obey him, regardless of earthly consequences. Right? So we may not face physical persecution or death, but in our, even in the world system in which we live, and even in the religious system, in which, you know, it's named Christian or whatever it may be, uh, it does, I think, still intimidate us, or try to at least intimidate us, to take <coughs> actions and beliefs to accommodate them. Would you agree with that mm-hmm. sort of a statement? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And in what ways do you think? Did you say somewhat? Is that what you said? Somewhat. Yeah. Okay. In what ways? Well, even the political, um, you know, like, it's hard to even say you're Republican or strong for life or something like that. Because um, I've been in situations in other churches where I've said, you know, I'm 
pro-life and they say, well, I'm pro-choice for this mm. reason and you can't convince me otherwise mm. or something like that. I've had a pastor tell me to leave. Mm. So, okay, I'll leave. I told you to leave? Because mm. oh I was causing so much trouble. Freedom of speech as long as we agree with each other. <laughs> All right, so uh, anyone else? Ways perhaps in which either the world system or maybe worse, the religious system seeks to perhaps intimidate us to act in a certain way? Here we go. I teach in a public school. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not sad. Not sad there. But I mean, it, it, um, it's, it's my 20th year teaching. I wasn't a believer when I first started, but you could you could speak freely, and it wasn't, mm-hmm. whatever. People may disagree with you, but yeah, whatever. Where now, it's like, if on certain things, biblically, if I were to be sharing an opinion, I could lose my job. Like, just talking in the lunchroom. If the wrong person heard, like, I feel this way about this, they could run to the administration and say, this cat feels this way. All right, here's your pink slip. Have a nice day. And then the the governing body that I paid many dollars for dues, they would probably wrestle, even though it's their duty to, to, like, Protect, protect me, me. they'd be like, oh, you're one of them, uh, we'll botch it on purpose or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't care about that, but it, I think that that is a reality. I have to be very careful, and again, I don't care. I mean, if, if someone asks me a question, I'm going to answer it, but I don't, I'm not going to be unwise about it. Yeah, but but that that is a clear issue. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, um, that forum, you have to be, you have to use wisdom if you want to keep your job. There was, there was a story just last week or two of a some big CEO, yeah, mm-hmm. some big company, oh, Mozilla. Mozilla. Yeah. Got Mozilla. Fired. It was yep. Mozilla. Yeah. Yep. Mozilla, right? Who resigned? Yeah. He had given a political contribution about a year. I don't even know how long ago. It's before two thousand eight. Yeah. A few years before to um, Proposition Eight in California. Yeah, you yeah. know the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> against a, a gay marriage banning amendment mm-hmm. proposition. He didn't do it against. He gave money to, to support, support the ban the amendment. Yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. a, a whole thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And what was interesting, he didn't. It wasn't like you know he bought television commercials right. and made this his crusade. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he didn't bring it up. It was his really private life. At work, yeah, and they said he couldn't be hired for this job because of it. No, they fired, they fired him. him. Wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah. was like the CEO of <laughs> He Mozilla. just became the CEO, correct? Yeah, oh yeah, they mm. kicked him right to the curb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. So, but, so I understand, I mean, obviously circumstances come up. Where's the line between the, you know, do not fear those who can kill the body and then can't do anything else? So where's the line that pushes you to the point where you say something or you don't say something? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Martyrdom? <laughs> well, I mean, even See, saying losing care. your job or getting kicked out of the church. Well, I mean, uh, my personal scenario is if God tells me to say something, I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. If he tells me to just chill, then I just, I listen, I lift it up. I mean, because I work with liberals as well. My boss was notoriously for coming after me for, you know, because I was a Republican and he thought that was just stupid. How can you be a scientist if you're a Republican? Um, (laughs) But (coughs) I would usually, sometimes I really got upset because it seemed like he would say something and I can deal with it one-to-one, but if he starts bringing in like the whole group or saying Mm -hmm. something like we're having dinner with a client and he'll say something, that bothers me Mm -hmm. and I get get real mad, but he's my boss Mm -hmm. and the question was, do I just laugh it off? And, you know, just say, okay, well, mm. I, I like the verse in Proverbs that says, or no, Jesus actually says it, is wisdom is proved right by her daughters, which means that it's all going to work itself out. So you can believe whatever you want, but it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. make it true. Right. No matter how. It's high gravity, but it doesn't <laughs> make it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I think it's a, it's a tough, co- I mean, if, obviously if somebody was coming up to you with a sword and yeah. said, 
rep, you know, uh, deny Christ. Deny Christ. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to do that. But mm-hmm. you know, these other things, I think, then you have to have, mm-hmm. like you said, wisdom to know when to yeah. say something. I think it's a very it's, it's a fine line. Um, it depends on the scenario. Every scenario is different. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know you're out with your coworkers or whatever, and somebody says, "Well, clearly, none of us would believe a foolish thing like." Like, you know, and, change. and this is well, and this is something like you you can't just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick my battles and not yeah. address something like right. that, right? Right. Better not. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it depends. Um, I, I I've been, I, you know, I, I've worked for a man who was an over atheist. Um, real, you you couldn't be intelligent and believe in God. Um, and um, I don't know why he hired me, because uh, <laughs> he knew. Um, but I, I remember one time, um, you know, he, he was really, he, he had just finished watching that movie. What was it? Uh, Le- the Da Vinci Code. Or, so he was armed. <laughs> and uh, um, he, and he, he was at- attacking, attacking the Bible. And he said, like, surely you can't believe everything that's in there. And I'm like, every word. <laughs> and he just shook his head and walked away. But. <laughs> you say you picked your battle. I, I picked the battle. And but see, that, that's a good point because he, he pay me confronted that. you directly. Right. It wasn't like you were in the workplace evangelizing on their payroll. He confronted right. you. And you know, he always confronted what? He was he he was always confronted. Right. So confrontational. I mean, you know, sometimes <laughs> we have to be careful if we're in a workplace and it's not, you know. Well, see, that's the thing though is so there was there's a that's why they brought up some of that stuff that happened back in the 80s and 90s of mm-hmm. people workplace evangelism and mm-hmm. how do you deal with it, right? So, you should not be doing evangelism on your company's time. Not on the pay time. Unless the opportunity, you know, take your take right. your employee out to dinner or lunch or whatever. But it's bad when the boss is actually bringing religion into the workplace, because mm-hmm. then what do you do? Right. He's the one that started it. Right. If he brings yeah. it up, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, well, I'm substitute teaching, <clears throat> and there are occasions when I mean, I do not start any conversations while I'm in a public school. I'm real careful, but it never fails. One of the kids brings up Jesus. Somebody always brings something up, and I end up having a conversation. So. It's There's the, nothing wrong with that. It is the weirdest thing. So <laughs> I feel like if somebody were to confront me, I could honestly say, you know what, I understand I'm on your property, I'm on, you know, I'm respecting my workplace, but this child said something to me, so I responded to it. And if a child initiates a conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, you just let it, let it happen. And you know, if I, somebody were to confront me, like you were saying, like if somebody were to confront me about what I believe, then I'm going to answer them honestly. Would I initiate with an atheist? If I had an atheist boss at the workplace, would I initiate it? Probably not, because I'm maybe not brave enough to do that, but if somebody were to confront me about it, that's me. That's my belief. That's what I believe in, and I'm not going to deny it. I mean, there's going to come a point in time where we may, you know, have a sword at our throat. I mean, other countries do. So what am I willing to say for Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm confronted, what am I willing to stand up for? Yeah. And I ask and myself then, that all the time. And this verse then will take on a significantly different meaning to us, won't it? Right. You know what I mean? So. That's right. I, I think when in whatever scenario if you can see that you can bring this person to Jesus in that moment then you do it like if it's an opportunity not not to just argue but you know is this an opportunity to let this person see who Jesus is I think the Holy Spirit will give you clear guidance on like hey there's a door you know use wisdom and walk through it and then consequences be what they may that kind of thing sure well, I want to take the conversation in a slightly different direction. You know, many times hypocrisy in the religious person is because they're afraid of being seen as too unspiritual. Mm-hmm. So we put on this mask or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to be a hypocrite from the other side of it, where we don't want to be seen at? We don't want to be being seen as being too spiritual. 
Understand my question there? Mm. Trying to fit into like whatever is at that time. Mm -hmm. ah. So would that be more for like younger people who might be dealing with peer pressure kind of thing and they have a heart for Christ, but they're afraid to kind of share that sure. with their friends. I don't think it has to be just younger people. Right. Um, I would, that just came to my mind because that's really where a lot of heavy peer pressure happens. Certainly. But yeah, I guess it, it could happen in adults. Well, if I grow a faux hawk, I'll fit in with everyone. That, I don't do with that. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would look cool with a faux hawk. But you know what I mean? Like, no, please don't do that. I won't. My wife won't let me. <laughs> um, but but I think um, <clears throat> laughing yeah. at a joke, and a uh, you know, an adult joke, right, 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 in the office, right, or whatever, because you want to fit in, yeah. right, you don't want to right. be seen as the oddball or something. Yeah, or even like trying to, not even that far, like not even something that's sinful, but like, like you're trying to be something like, like, like I'm not going to try to be like a twenty year old because I'm not. There's no way, like I don't even know what. 20 year olds think is cool so I'm not even going to try to go there but like if you do try to go there it's, it doesn't really work anyway okay you know? <coughs> anyone else well the point I bring that up is there's just there's a, there's a myriad of angles in which you can come at it and we just want to be honest and sincere with who we are before the Lord you know, and people can interpret that however they want to interpret it <coughs> uh, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees um, then Jesus transitions into this idea of don't fear those because fear oftentimes determines how we act and we become hypocrites. <coughs> so don't feel those, fear those that can just simply kill your body. Fear the one who can cast you into hell afterward. Mm -hmm. And then he says in verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the going rate, I'm sorry. But apparently that's the case. You know, it is interesting. In Matthew chapter 10, it says basically the same story, and it says two sparrows for one penny, and this is five sparrows for two. So the point is that you know you buy four, you get another one <laughs> thrown in for free. Yeah, that's how like worthless these little birds are. In that you know they throw an extra one in, and they're only worth a half of a penny each, or whatever it may be. And yet, how worthless that is. The Lord, nonetheless, takes notice of them, and he provides for them. So, there are times, you know, here you are, someone's putting a sword to your throat, difficulties that we face, and the temptation might be to think that God has forgotten me, that God has abandoned me, that he doesn't care about me, doesn't notice what I'm going through. And the reality in that conversation, then, is, are not two sparrows sold, or four sparrows sold for five pennies, or whatever number is five penny you get the idea if god cares for the worthless sparrows then how much more will he care for those of us that are taking the gospel and looking to live it out and proclaim it into the world that is around us i remember when i was in uh i guess i was in college um at one particular time me and a group of our friends we were going to be fasting now i have to tell you i didn't I understood the idea of fasting was not eating. <laughs> and so I thought you, like, you could get a drink, you know, soda or whatever. So my friends and I, we went and got milkshakes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is that where you got the addiction shamrock, to milkshakes? So. We got like shamrock shakes and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, this fasting is not that hard. <laughs> you know, so anyway, my mom calls me down for dinner, you know, come on, time for dinner. And I'm like, and I know you're not supposed to talk about. I know you're not supposed to talk about fasting like that. I'm fasting. You're supposed to do yeah. face and all that. And so I'm like, no, I'm okay. You know, nothing. Um, and uh, she's like, no, you come down. It's gonna be good or whatever. And I'm like, no. So she kept pushing me. So I finally said, mom, I'm fasting. Now my mom's not a believer, so she's like, what? <laughs> what is that? You know, whatever. And uh, so I kind of explained what it was and why we were doing it. She was like, you're gonna die. And I, and so I said, Mom, you know, consider the sparrows. <laughs> I was like, who are you? What are you talking about? So the Lord cares about us. He provides for us. He pays attention. Um, and he, he's making the point here. Even if this, uh, for these folks, comes to the place where a sword is put to their throat and they have to, one way or the other, um, lose their body because someone might kill the body, I should say. He's letting them know that he has not forgotten them and that he will be with them even in the midst of that persecution. And, you know, it's, it is significant, as Suzanne was kind of saying, the guys that were listening to this, these disciples, 
they all went to martyrdom, you know, with the exception, obviously, of Judas and John. John lived the life of martyrdom. The others, they, their lives were taken. So these verses certainly resonated and no doubt came back into their mind uh, as they were making that choice whether they would be faithful or not. Another example that Jesus gives here of how the Lord cares, he says, um, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Somebody, I don't even have any idea how anyone could figure this out, but somebody has said that the average redhead has about 90,000 hairs on their head. Okay? The average dark-haired person, or it used to be dark-haired, has about 120,000 hairs on their head. And the average blonde has about 145,000 really? hairs on their head. Uh, the average beard is said to have 30,000 hairs. Uh, so the Lord knows us pretty intimately. Um, and, he, and not that he just knows, like, you know, you, you, get, you got a pretty good one. It's <laughs> just changing color. 145. You know, not that he just knows how many there are, but it says, it, it seems to allude that each hair is numbered. You know, that's an intimate knowledge uh, that the Lord has. And honestly, it's a, of a very insignificant thing, this hair thing. Very insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Greg Laurie talks about in heaven we'll all have glorified yeah. bodies, and, yeah. and then all of us will we'll be, you know, no, <laughs> all of us will look like this in our glorified bodies. So, um, so here's a question. When do you find that you feel most abandoned by God? As if you're sort of on your own, and, you know, the Footprints uh, poem... Lord, where were you? Yes, sir. When I abandoned him. Okay. Uh, when I'm running as far away, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I think I'm abandoned, and it was me that took off. Not God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or an unexpected bad event. Mm -hmm. If you know, like someone dies suddenly, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's something huge. You know, tr you know, tra you know, traumatic. Where you know, you know, some sometimes your faith can be tested in that. Yeah. I think I I used to feel like before I was saved, I I just always had this mindset that there was two groups of people. There was the group that God loved and the group that God didn't love, and I just didn't get on the right line. Hmm. But that didn't stop me from believing in Him. I just figured I was kind of on the outside looking in, or in the inside looking, whatever. I wasn't in that group. So I guess in that respect, <coughs> I felt like I just wasn't part of who he picked hmm. to care about. But I don't know that I've felt abandoned since being saved, although I haven't been saved that long. So, but, uh, you know, now at least I, I kind of, I understand at least, no matter how bad things feel, he's there. Hmm. And there's a reason, you know, there's work being done with whatever's going on. Doesn't mean I like it, but sure. at least I know he's there. Okay, good. Many of you perhaps have seen God's Not Dead, the movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Um, but there, there's a scene in the movie where the, the student pushes the professor, um, and you know, finally the professor blurts out, and then when he says, you know, why do you hate God or something, finally the professor blurts out uh, something to the, I don't want to ruin the story. No spoilers, yeah. Sorry. You don't mind? Okay. No, Something to the effect of, when God didn't answer my prayers as a 12-year-old boy mm -hmm. to heal my mom, mm -hmm. that's when I knew that he was a jerk or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, to that effect. And, um, you know, his point is, God didn't answer my prayers, my desperate cries. I wasn't asking for a puppy. I was asking for my mom's life. My mom was a good lady, She, mm -hmm. you know, and God didn't answer that. God, you... That's a very honest emotion yeah. that a lot of people feel, certainly. Ted Turner, that's his problem. Yeah. Is that right? Same idea? His sister died. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like, I feel like Suzanne, actually, I, I can't really think of a time where I felt like I've been abandoned. I felt distant, but I have never felt abandoned, even, in, even if there's been difficulties. Now, abandoned is a big word. Yeah, there's like well, seven letters. Use there. that word. No, though. what I mean, I did. <laughs> you're right. I did use it. Um, so maybe where, maybe it's something like 
there's a lesser degree of abandon. Mm -hmm. Like, God, where are you? Why aren't you showing yourself strong now? If you're able, if you love me, I think those are all things that a lot of Christians deal with. Maybe you don't, and uh, and that's good. I'm glad, and uh, certainly so. But I, I do remember when things, times in my life where things weren't just working out, and I'm like, God, stop it. Stop playing with me. Do Just step in and do it. And, and honestly, it could be as silly as I got to mow the lawn, and now the lawnmower won't start. <laughs> and God, you can start this thing. And I've been a good person, and I haven't bothered anybody. Start the mower. And it's going to rain for the you next know? five days. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, something when you get, that's, Okay, when you get the blue screen on the computer, then I feel that way. Yeah. yeah. No! <laughs> when it buffered last week. When oh, oh there you go. But, but I guess I was thinking, too, is some of the, you know, some of the people that may have said, that's why I can't believe in God, or that right. movie, or whatever. That's a, it's a spiritual... It's, a, it's something that God gives you, the ability to perceive his, his presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that unbeliever, I, I mean, God can make himself, man, you know, he can make himself manifest to anybody, but, you know, <coughs> he, it's a spiritual thing. It's not something that just every person, unsafe person, is going to have that experience. I hear you. Yeah. I think, I wonder too, I was, think, I was just thinking, something Mark just said, I was thinking about, you know, I, I think there was a hardening of my heart from whatever, you know, hurts or experiences in life. And I think I think there's a way to to twist that. If your heart is hard, you can then turn that around and project that onto God. You know, I want to do what I want to do. My heart is hard because you've abandoned me. And that's sort of a rebellious attitude. Yeah. Oh, God didn't act the way you expected him to. Right. Save your sister. Right. I mean, my, my mind went immediately to Darwin. His daughter died. Mm-hmm. And this set in motion right. this entire, right. you know, thing that has just changed the way people think about the world. Yeah. Wow. In a bad way. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Jay, you were starting to say something and I interrupted you. I, I was kind of going to go where you went with these little things. Um, I, I occasionally find myself using the word thwarted. I just, I just, you know, it's like you attempt to do something and this thing should take five seconds to do and mm-hmm. it's on and on and on and you just think to yourself, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know? <laughs> um, so. I feel like that every day. By the sweat of your brow, brother. <laughs> By the sweat of your brow. Thwarted. Well, I, I think it, for me, I, like, I, I, I wasn't going there with abandon because I, I don't really think I felt that, but mm-hmm. I certainly felt like, like for instance, when my father died, I he wasn't a believer, and I don't think I mean at least unless there was some last second thing there, but mm-hmm. and I prayed and prayed and prayed for years, you know, that he would come to the Lord, and then when he died, there was no indication that he had, mm-hmm. and so that I didn't feel abandoned. I just felt like. Okay, there's some, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, there's just some things I say, look, I don't understand God. Yeah. I just give it to Him. Yeah. But it's not an abandoned feeling. It's just like a, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my, when my father passed, it's the same. You know, all right, it's in your hands. I never got, never got a confirmation from my father himself. But yeah, it, there was, there was an interval of time where I was like, all right, well, I, I thought I did what I was supposed to do, but I might Oh, yeah, see. and then there's always that thing, like, yeah. <laughs> you start, yeah, yeah, did, yeah. did I not have enough faith? Did I not, you know, you start questioning yourself, like, did I not share yeah. as often as I should have? Did I, you know, that sort of thing. Um, sure. Yeah, it, it's more surreal, you know, that, that the day he passed, it was very much like, wow, this is it. You know, I hope, I hope he reached him, mm-hmm. you know. All right, well, then, considering those circumstances where you do feel sort of left alone, not abandoned, he's around the corner, but, you know, just sort of like, God, what's going on, where are you? How do these couple of metaphors, maybe, about sparrows and hairs of our head and and so on, how do they sort of speak into that emotion? 
they care so much. Um, and I always use the opposite because I couldn't even count how many hairs come out <laughs> in a day. Um, so I, I kind of thought of if he cares so much about that kind of detail, then he is right there with me in this instant mm -hmm. when I stop and think about that. I know he he cares and he has a plan yeah. and he goes before me. <coughs> and I also remember other things, other situations that I saw hindsight what I didn't see at that moment. So I know he is right there with me. So it's comforting. It okay. gives you a confidence, yeah. you know, in him. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Anyone else? I like the um, the verse that um, that says that he knitted me in the womb uh -huh. because you know, and he knows my frame. It's like he built me. Hmm. He built me to his to the specifications that he wanted for me <coughs> for whatever projected future he had in mind for me. Um, whether or not I've been on that path is my own, you know, mistakes or whatever. It's just life. But why would I mean I as a as a human as a mortal, I wouldn't put that much effort any effort into something that I didn't care about. So why would God go through the whole process of creating me to have a purpose and a reason for my life and then just go, eh, right? Yeah, doesn't make sense. Okay, well, you are cared for. Uh, that's good news, certainly. Uh, he is with you um, and does not abandon you and things like that. And, um, if you're going to fear anyone, certainly don't fear the one that knows you so intimately, knows the number, each hair is numbered, uh, and so on, and that the one that ultimately has the ability to save your soul, not just take a life as the earthly person was, mm -hmm. but this one can cast your soul into hell. If you're going to fear anyone, fear that one. Mm -hmm. uh, to the point of where the fear motivates you toward obedience uh, is sort of the point of that little section. Now we're not going to have time to move on to verses 8 and 12 and following, but um, this is going to speak of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. which a lot of people wonder about. Especially so, as a new Christian. Huh? <laughs> Especially as a new Christian. Absolutely. Did I do it? So we'll talk about that. So go ahead and read ahead next week. We'll look at uh, as much as we can get through next time, but we'll stop in verse 7. And let's... Uh, one more. I was just going to say, yeah, one please. of the things that I've been looking for, I mean, I do this when I read these Gospels, is also this whole environmental aspect of these verses. Now you can say he's just speaking figuratively, but obviously he's stating a fact, and it's not beyond God that he hasn't forgotten any of the sparrows. Mm -hmm. But then he makes the comparison, and are, are you not worth more than many sparrows? Mm -hmm. So this whole idea that man is just, you know, he's a virus on the planet, or mm -hmm. he's, a, you know, he's just another animal, that's not true in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. He definitely values all creation, but he values us more. Mm -hmm. And so to, you know, for people to say, well, you know, be Christian, you should be an environmentalist. Well, I guess in the ultimate sense we are. We just have God's priorities as far as... Where we where we stack up in the uh, in the food chain, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Mm -hmm. All right, we're gonna close out and worship.